thanks. Um, so this body of Christ goes back to Romans uh, chapter 12 that we're going to look at this morning. And Paul uses this metaphor. And even before modern science and all that we know about the human body, Paul, people in Paul's day knew enough to look at the human body and say there's an interdependence there. There's a uh, aspect of the body there that when we look at the church should also be present among the church. So Romans chapter 12, looking at verses 3 through 8 this morning. I want to read that to you this morning. This is what Paul writes in his letter to the Romans. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul, in this passage, talking about the human body and the church as the body of Christ, tells us that everybody has a gift and everybody has a job to do. There's a, a football coach that's kind of well-known in these areas, Bill Belichick, who has an ex many expressions, but one of his expressions that's kind of caught on is do your job. And we thought that's a pretty good title for this passage. If Paul was to write a passage for the, a title for this passage, it might be do your job that every one of us has a job to do and we are to be doing our job when it comes to the church and the body of Christ. You have a job to do and I have a job to do. When it comes to gifts, those graces, those skills and abilities given by God to you, you have something that I need and I have something that you need. In fact, you might say it like this, you have something that belongs to me. And I have something that belongs to you. Because Paul says that God has given gifts. He's given graces to people in the church and in the body of Christ. And we need each other. And so I want to look this morning quickly at four directives that Paul gives when it comes to handling these gifts in the body. You may not know it, but you have a gift that God has given you. And it's a gift to be shared. Maybe you do know. Maybe you know exactly how God has gifted you with a skill and ability to be a blessing to the body of Christ. But if you don't, my hope for you by the end of this message is that you will have some idea or at least be more motivated to pray and ask God to reveal to you what is the gift that he has given you to share with the body. So four directives in this passage that Paul gives us about the gifts that God has given to you and God has given to us as the body of Christ. The first one is this, that the gifts are to be handled in humility. Handled in humility. 
For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of among, among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, Paul has himself never been to Mount Hope. He's never been to our church. He's never been to any church around here. Paul died over 2,000 years ago. But neither had Paul at this point of his writing, actually ever been to the church in Rome. He'd never been there. But he'd been around enough Christians, and he'd been around enough churches to know something about how churches and Christians often think about the gifts given to the body of Christ. And so he knew that people have a tendency to view their particular ability as more important, maybe, than others. Now, I know that's not you, but it may be that the person beside you is struggling with this. So just bear with me for a second as I talk to them. Sometimes we have the tendency to look at our gifts or what we bring to the table as a little more important than maybe what someone else brings to the table. So Paul in this passage is telling us, don't oversell or undersell the gift that God has given to you. Don't overestimate its importance in the big picture, but don't for a second think that your part of the picture is not important. He's telling us to think rightly about these gifts. When it comes to gifts and abilities that God has graced us with, he uses this word. He says, think with sober judgment. That word sober means exactly what you think it means and how we use it today. It means think with judgment unhindered by external influences. Think about the gifts in a way that is fully in touch with the reality that is around you. Think about them with sober judgment. Not to overestimate them, to think too highly, but don't you underestimate them either and think they're not important. Think of them with sober judgment. It's like this. We all have something to bring to the table. I don't know what you do at Thanksgiving or what your favorite part of a Thanksgiving meal is, but one of my favorite parts is the mashed potatoes. Any other mashed potatoes fans in the room? We got a few mashed potatoes. I love mashed potatoes. I don't know why. It's just it's something like Wendy, when we first got married, I told her that I love mashed potatoes. And uh, she had never made mashed potatoes before. She made them when we got married, and they were wonderful. Uh, they, yes, they, they, I told her it's important to have butter in mashed potatoes. Um, so I don't know how much she used, but they were a, a, a comfortable shade of yellow. They were, they, were, they, were, they, were pretty, they, were, they were good. I'm still checking my cholesterol numbers from those mashed potatoes 20 years ago, but, but they were good mashed potatoes. I love mashed potatoes. So if I come to the Thanksgiving meal, I might make the mashed potatoes and I might bring them to the meal and I might have some great mashed potatoes. They might be award-winning mashed potatoes. They might be the best mashed potatoes on the planet. And so I come to the meal and I start scooping them out onto the plates and I take your plate and I start putting mashed potatoes on it. And I keep scooping onto your plate and at one point you say, oh, that's enough. I need to have, leave room for some other things. But I say, oh no, these mashed potatoes are good. And I just keep scooping them on your plate. I said, these are the best in the world. You're going to love these mashed potatoes. And I scoop them on your plate until your plate is full and there is no room for anything else. I have elevated the importance of my gift and not left any other room for the gifts that other people have brought to the table. 
And sometimes maybe we do this with our gifts in the church. That we think, Paul is saying at times, don't think too highly of your gift so that other people don't have a chance to use their gifts because they're important too. Sometimes we can think that way about this. We can think that way about our gifts. The gifts need to be handled with humility. So I can say that I did my best with these mashed potatoes and I will bring them to the table. But I think they'd even taste better covered in the gravy that you brought to the table. Or I hope they complement the dish that you brought to the table. Because this is the way that the body of Christ is designed to work. That I bring your gift and you bring your gift and neither of us thinks too highly of them but neither of us underestimates the importance of bringing the gift. Our hope is that they will complement each other and that together the meal that is prepared is pleasing to God and uplifting to each other. Our music ministry that was just up here, they love to sing. They love to play their instruments. And I'm sure there's some days they just wish that they could just keep playing the whole time. But why don't they? Because they recognize that there are other gifts that other people bring that we need. We need to be careful not to overestimate or underestimate the gifts that we bring. They're to be handled with humility. Paul says, in accordance with the measure of faith assigned to you. By that, he doesn't mean that other, some people have a little faith and some people have a lot of faith. What he's saying is measure. The word is a metron, meter. In other words, measured against the faith that we all share. When you look at your gift in light of the faith, in light of who Jesus is, we, don't have, we are no longer tempted to look at them more highly than we ought to because in light of who Jesus is, I just humbly bring what I can bring. It's really all about him. So when it comes to the gifts, they're to be handled in humility. Secondly, they're to be used in unity. The gifts are to be used in unity. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. For the gifts to work the way the Lord intended, they require an atmosphere of unity. If there is a lack of unity, each person will be moving and pulling in their own direction and nothing of purpose and significance will really happen. It's like the uh, geese you see flying overhead this time of year or a little bit earlier in the year when you see them flying south in this V formation or those of us that are golfers would wish that they would fly south a little bit more. They seem to hang out on golf courses most of the time. But you see them flying in this V formation and have you ever wondered why they do that? Scientists have looked into it and they say as each bird flaps its wings, it creates an uplift for the bird immediately following it. By the flying in the V formation, the whole flock adds at least 71% greater flying range than if each bird flew on its own. If the bird were to sacrifice unity, if the birds were to sacrifice unity, they would sacrifice the distance and perhaps never even reach their desired destination on time. When we sacrifice unity, we sacrifice the significance of what could be accomplished if we will work together for one purpose. 
It's interesting to me around here, uh, this, around this time of year, you know, you talk about unity, and it's not only unity in our local church. We want that, and we want to work for that, but unity across the body of Christ, across churches that worship and love Jesus. And it's interesting to me, this time of year, you know, we don't often talk about that, but this time of year, somehow it comes up. In fact, even in the media, they will use terms like the Christian voting block or the evangelical vote. And what's interesting to me is that rarely any other time of the year do they talk about Christians as one group or as one homogeneous group. But at this time of the year, somehow they're looked at as one group. And even Christians, even as Christians, we sometimes do it. And we think, well, let's get all the Christians together and vote in a certain way. Let's have this unity. And I was thinking about that this week and thinking about this pastor. And I'm thinking, what if we, for the other three years and 11 months in between these elections, would work together as one to accomplish not so much the election of a candidate, but the purposes of God and the kingdom of God in our world? What difference could we make if we would work together as one to accomplish God's purposes? But the truth is, so often we are not working with unity But God has called us one body, those of us that are in Christ. Unity comes from union with Christ. Ultimately, unity comes from union with Christ. It's not something we create. It's not something we fabricate. It's not something we work hard for. It's something that comes when we are united with Christ. Christ is what we have in common. There is not unity for us apart from Jesus. When unity is accomplished, it's because we have gathered around Christ and we are looking at him and not at each other. When unity is broken, it's very often because one or both of us have taken our eyes off Jesus. It is Christ and the cross that brings us together. Of course, we are not all alike. Unity is not uniformity, but in Christ, we are united. Paul says that we are all part of one body, which means we have an interdependence on one another. I need you and you need me and together we are one body. So the gifts are to be handled with humility. They're to be used in unity. And third, they are to be deliver- they are delivered in diversity. The gifts are delivered in diversity. Paul says having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. You have been given a gift of grace to you. I have been given a gift of grace to me. And you have a gift to share. God in his wisdom gave different gifts to the church. And the truth is we need all of them. We need all of the gifts that God gave. This passage in Romans lists some of them. There's another passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that lists some more of them. There's another passage in Ephesians chapter 4 that lists some more of them. But I think even if you take them all together, they are not an exhaustive list of all the gifts that God has given to the church to be used. God has graced you with a skill, an ability, a gift to be used for his glory. The point is there are many, and they are all important for the church to work as the Lord intended it to. God has given a diversity of gifts. And just as unity is not uniformity, diversity is not division. Diversity in the church does not mean division. The opposite of unity is not diversity. The opposite of unity is division. Division. 
And you can have diversity with great unity. If you think about it in, through a military example, when they are trying to accomplish a battle, you might have planes from the Air Force, ships from the Navy, and troops on the ground from the Army. There's a diversity of people and assets involved, but together they win the battle. When you're unified around a mission, they're able to win a battle. And so diversity is not division. Diversity is a gift from God to his church. And just as unity is not uniformity, diversity is not the same as division. We need each other's gifts. Tom Brady is a great football player. Perhaps some would argue the greatest football player that's ever played. At least he's in the discussion. So that must mean that if you've got more Tom Brady's on your team, then you've got a better team. So that if you put 11 Tom Brady's on your field, being the, perhaps the greatest football player that's ever played, you would have the greatest team that could ever be assembled on a field. But it's not true, is it? In fact, a field full of 11 Tom Brady's would be defeated by even the lowliest other team in the league. Because though he may be great at his position, it takes a diversity of gifts to win the game. And it's the same thing in the church. You may have people in the church who are exceptional at their position, but it's going to take all of us to win the game. It's going to take all of us to accomplish the mission and vision that God has created us for. We need a diversity of gifts in the body. Several years ago, um, in fact, back in the 1930s, two students graduated from the Chicago-Kent College of Law. The highest-ranking student in the class was a blind man named Overton. And he re- when he received his honor as the highest-ranking graduate in that class, he insisted that half the credit should go to his friend, Kasperzak. They had met one another in the school when the armless Kasperzak had guided the blind Mr. Overton down a flight of stairs. The acquaintance ripened into a friendship and a beautiful example of interdependence. The blind man carried the books which the armless man read aloud in their common study. And thus, the individual deficiencies of each was compensated for by the other. And after their graduation, they planned to practice law together. And it's similar in the body of Christ. Like Casper, Zach, and Overton, the body of Christ is incomplete without each other's gifts. We need each other. We need what each other brings to the table. We are missing limbs, quite literally is what Paul is saying, if you don't bring your gift to the table. We're like a body that is missing something that God has already provided. So often, some of the problems that we might face in the church, the answer is already in the room, but somebody needs to step up and share the gift that God has given The gift that God has given ultimately not to you, but to the church. It's simple illustrations can be seen all around us. If you think about our global outreach lunch even last week, 
This is something as simple as a lunch. I love the passion that Chuon has and the program that he puts together for our global outreach. But if those that were supposed to set up tables never set up tables, the lunch would have been a flop. If those who had the gift of service never served and those who had the gift of cooking never cooked, it doesn't happen. So we need each other's gifts in the body. If the missionaries that have the gift and call to go don't go, there's no point in us gathering around this. F.F. Bruce, great theologian of the 20th century, said diversity, not uniformity, is the mark of God's handiwork. It is so in nature. It is so in grace, too. And nowhere more so than in the Christian community. Here are many men and women with the most diverse kinds of parentage, environment, temperament, and capacity. Not only so, but since they became Christians, they have been endowed by God with a great variety of spiritual gifts as well. Yet because and by means of that diversity, all can cooperate for the good of the whole. God has given a diversity of gifts to the body and we need them. We need all of them. Otherwise, we are not a whole and healthy body. So they're to be handled with humility. They're to be used in unity. They are delivered in diversity. And fourth and finally, they are meant for ministry. They are meant for ministry. Paul says, let us use them. Would you say that with me? Let us use them. Now say it like you mean it. Let us use them. That's what he says about the gifts. You've been given a gift, now let us use them. Don't let them sit. Don't let them just be dormant. Let us use them. What happens when one of us doesn't use our gifts? You end up with sot up (laughs) on the ground. Because somebody didn't use their gift. Somebody didn't do their job. There's these great pictures on the internet around this topic of you had one job. Maybe you've seen them. What happens when someone doesn't do their job? You end up turning right when you're supposed to turn left. You end up with lines on the road like that. You had one job. What happens when somebody doesn't do their job? I love this one. You had one job, Mr. Stairmaster. I love that. What happens when somebody doesn't do their job? You've got bottles that look like that. You've got knobs that look like that. You have thirst place medals. This is my favorite one. I, I'm just, just not a big fan of cats, so that's my favorite one. You had one job, cat. I have, there's no other reason for me to have a cat if it's not going to get rid of the mice. You had one job. What happens? When one person doesn't do their job. You have a job to do and I have a job to do and I need you to do your job and you need me to do my job if we are going to go. We are meant for ministry. The gifts are meant for ministry. We need everyone to participate. Those of you who are good at editing would have caught this. But we need you. We need your gift. I need you. Those of you who are good at something in your life and God has blessed you and gifted you with it, we need it. 
We need it in the church. We need people to use their gifts in the church. There's many places where they'll be formally used, and you see that a lot of times. The musicians on the stage and teachers, preachers, teachers in our classrooms, and these places you'll see it formally. But the truth is, more often than not, where the gifts are needed are in the informal places that nobody sees. It's not just the formal places when we come up here and say, hey, we need a teacher for the middle school boys, or hey, we need a teacher for the preschool, two and threes, would you come up and step up? Those are important, and those are formal places, but there are more probably informal places where it is not about the formal church, it is about the informal Christians that need to be served and loved and use your gifts to be able to build up the body of Christ. It's about the places that most people don't see where the gifts need to be used. And I think that's why Paul has to warn us and say, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought and think with sober judgment because we can be, we can be real quick to think, well, my gift's not that important because people don't see it. And that's not true. You've got gifts that you bring to the table that we need that the church isn't gonna work right without. We need your gifts these flowers that you see on stage, we need your gifts, Lee Function. We need your gifts to help us to see beauty to that cafe that's beautiful all the time. Thank you, Lee, for that because we need your gifts. Eddie, we need your gifts in the prison. We need you to preach and teach and take people there that will share the gospel in the prison. In music ministry, we need your gifts. We need you to lead us. We need you to take us into God's presence and prepare us for the word that God has for us. Christina McLaughlin, I don't know if she's here today, but we need your gift. She sits on the People Helping People board in Burlington. She's the one that coordinates the wish tree and the pumpkin patch and the food drives to help us to be a blessing and to feed the people of Burlington. We need those gifts. Ron and Deb Cantalupo that help us coordinate the, mess, uh, the meals down at the Salvation Army once a month. We need those gifts to be a body of Christ. Those of you gifted in finance who at times I will call upon and say, hey, can you go and come beside this other person who's not as gifted because they need help with their finances? Can you help them through this? We need those gifts, accountants and CPAs. We need those gifts. We need your gifts. Those of you who are gifted to serve and nobody sees it, we need your gifts. Church doesn't work without your gifts. Safety team out there in the hallway, you know, out there during the service, watching over uh, the uh, hallways, carefully uh, watching over those who come in and those who go out. We need your gifts. Teachers in the, teachers in the classrooms, nursery workers, as you cradle those babies, and you sing over them, and you care for them, and you love them, and you make them comfortable. We need those gifts. We need each other. Because the truth is, I have something that belongs to you, and you have something that belongs to me. We actually have something that belongs to us that is given by God. And if you're sitting here today, young person, middle school student, high school student, don't think you don't have a gift to share. And don't think, well, when I get older, I'm going to do something for the church because God has you here now and we need your gifts 
Some of you have grown up sitting in front of two and three screens at once and for you to learn a new computer program or for you to learn and do graphic arts is nothing for you and it would take forever for some of us to do it. We need your gifts. Some of you can come up with amazing PowerPoint slides and backgrounds, or some of you are creative and could come up with amazing staging for, for a sermon series or whatever, or videos or whatever you do. We need your gifts. We need your gift of art. We need you to share your art with the church to help us to see each other and to see Jesus. Some of you on the other end of the spectrum sit here and you say, well, I'm too old. My time of sharing my gift is past. I don't see that in the scriptures. I don't see an expiration date on the gifts. You've got something that you need to share and maybe you don't have the energy you used to or maybe you don't have the ability you used to but you have something you didn't have back then. You have wisdom, you have encouragement, you have other things that you can share with us that we need. We need you. We need you as that gift of encouragement. We need you to tell your story of what God has done. We need you to help us as we move forward in the Lord to encourage us and remind us we need your gifts. If you're a Christian, you can't just take your gift and go home. Paul doesn't give you the option. God doesn't give you the option. He says, if if you got the gift of teaching, teach. You got the gift of serving, serve. Serve. You got the gift of leadership, lead with zeal. You got the gift of mercy, do it cheerfully. Some of you have that. You've got that gift of mercy. Can I tell you, it's rare. All of us are called to show mercy, but some of you are sitting here and you have such a gift of mercy that your heart breaks at things that other people don't even notice. And you think, well, it must not be that important. That's not true. It's we need your gift to show us what we're not seeing. You have the gift of mercy. You see someone who's hurting and you want to help. We need that. Can't just take your gift and go home. Paul doesn't give us that option. How do you discover what your gifts are? Maybe you're sitting here and you say, okay, Pastor Rick, you've convinced me, but what is my gift? How do I find it? I love what Pastor Tim Keller says. He says, in general, you don't learn your gifts before you do ministry. You learn your gifts as you minister. I think that's true. I think that's true. We need more laboratories in the church. We need more places where you can step out and try your gift and try and see if maybe this is a place where God has called you. Maybe this is a place where God has gifted you. We need more places in the church and we need to be okay when someone steps out and tries something and maybe it doesn't fit and maybe they fail at it and we need to be okay with saying it's okay for you to walk away and try something else and don't just stay in that role forever doing something that maybe God hasn't gifted you or called you to do, try something else and find the gift that God has called you to do. It's not that at times we only, it's not that we only do what we're gifted to do. Don't hear what I'm not saying. There are times where you and I are going to be called to do things that we may not particularly be gifted at, but just need to get done. 
And so we're going to step up and do it. We don't only do the things that God has gifted us to do, but we must at least do the things that God has gifted us to do. We must at least bring that thing within us that God has graced us with and given to us for the sake of the body. We must at least bring the mashed potatoes to the table. You might also be asked to make the green bean casserole, and you're not very good at that. And that's okay. But you must at least make the mashed potatoes. You got to bring your gift to the table. So how do we find our gifts? I've, I'm hesitant. You know, I, look, I, I know there's a lot of spiritual gift quizzes and inventories out there, and there's plenty of them on the Internet, and that's fine. I'm hesitant to put too much stock in them. I think they can be helpful, but I'm hesitant to put too much. In them. Those aren't the Word of God on you, but they can be helpful to find, uh, maybe discover and help you find how God has kind of wired you and gifted you and graced you. One of them is called uh, Shape. And you can Google that. It's like a 112-question, I think, um, test that's available on the Internet. Um, Shape's a pretty good one. It's one of them. Again, this isn't the Word of God, but these are just tools that can maybe be helpful. And shape stands for spiritual gifts. You know, what has God supernaturally gifted me to do? Heart, what do I have a passion for and love to do? Abilities, what natural talents and skills do I have? Personality, where does my personality best suit me to serve? Experiences, what spiritual experiences have I had? What painful experiences have I had? What educational experience have I had? What ministry experience have I had? And you find your shape for ministry. You find your shape, and maybe that helps you find a place. There's some questions you can ask when it comes to discovering your gifts. What drives you? What would you do for God if you knew it couldn't fail? What drives you? What pushes you to action? What moves you so deeply that it keeps you awake at night? What drives you? That may be a gift that God has put there. What, what, who are the people you most want to help? Who do you feel you can influence the most? Is there an age range you feel most drawn to? Is there an affinity group you feel most drawn to? What are the needs I feel most drawn to? What are the top two needs I love uh, to meet for people? Help you discover your gifts. What cause am I most passionate about? What issues make my heart race? Where can I make the greatest impact for God? Again, these aren't fail-safe. These aren't uh, written in stone, but they're just ways that can maybe try and help you discover the way that God has gifted you. But I also encourage you, just try it out. Just try it out. Step out and minister. And maybe you find a place where God has given you something that is really given to us, that is really given to his church. So we wrap up. I share this story with you. It's amazing how some people can see purpose and see something while someone else doesn't see it or only sees something to be discarded heard a story recently uh, that a number of years back, there was a boy named Jimmy whose mom had an old green coat that she was ready to throw out. Jimmy asked if he could have it, and so she gave it to him with some cutting, stitching, two halves of a ping pong ball. He turned that old coat into a puppet. 
The puppet started out looking a bit like a lizard, but later took the shape of a frog and was given the name Kermit. And the boy, of course, Jimmy, was Jim Henson. And you see, the reality is where most people see a coat to be discarded in trash, Jimmy saw a dancing, singing frog. And where most people might look at a group of people like this gathered in a room as just a random group of people gathered together around a set of doctrines or beliefs that really don't have much in common or can't accomplish much, God looks at that group of people and sees the body of Christ and says that if you will handle it with humility, if you will be, use them in unity, if you will recognize the diversity, and if you will use them for ministry, that you will accomplish great and eternal things for God's kingdom. That where most people might see in the first century just a ragtag bunch of guys, Jesus saw a church and a rock that his church will be built upon that would change the world. But only, only if they would do it together using the gifts that God has given to them. Only if they would work in unity using the diversity of gifts that God has given to them. And it's true for you and it's true for me. You have something I need. I have something you need. I have something that belongs to you and you have something that belongs to me. If you're a Christian, then you are a member of the body of Christ. Corpus Christi. You are a member of the body of Christ. We are members one of another and one with another. And as a part of the body, you have a grace, a gift that is to be shared and used for the body. I have something that belongs to you and you have something that belongs to me. Actually, we all have something that is given by Christ and it belongs to us. Actually, we all have something that is given by Christ and belongs to us. The two questions we must ask is this, what is your gift and how are you using it? What is your gift and how are you using it? There's a joy in using the gift that God has given to you. And some of you that are operating in that area know this joy. That what others see as drudgery, you see as joy. What others see as something that would tire them out, you could go on and on and do and never get tired because you're operating in your area of giftedness. Imagine a church where everyone used the gifts they were given for each other's benefit. This is countercultural, this takes humility which sets itself and selfish goals and desires aside. It sets it in the background. This is not about how much each of us can gain or how we can get ahead, but it is how we make sure no one is left behind. This is the way of our Lord. This is the faith that affirms the words of Jesus who said, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you will lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. This is not about you or me. It's about us and him In Christ, my relationship with you, who are also in Christ, is redefined. It is repurposed. You are not a person who attends the same meetings as me in a building called a church. No, you and I are the church. 
We are brothers and sisters who know one another, love each other, and tangibly care one for another through the utilizing of the gifts given to God, given from God to us. Don't come to church. Don't go to church. We are called to be the church. And this uncharacteristic, common grace and common wealth that must characterize us, the giving one to another, the caring one for another that is not evident. Any other place in the world should be evident in the body of Christ. That the world should look at the church and say whatever else they may say, whatever else may be true, there is a group of people that care about each other. There's a group of people that love each other. There's a group of people that serve each other. And I may not agree with what they believe, and I may not agree with everything they do, but I sure would like to be part of a group of people like that. That's the body of Christ. If you are not a Christian, and you're here today, then know that Jesus offers you an invitation And yes, it's an invitation to follow him and it's an invitation into his presence and it's an invitation to have freedom and forgiveness from sin and forgiveness from guilt and shame and have your chains broken and all of that. It's an invitation to all of that. It's an invitation to grace. It's an invitation to mercy. But it's also an invitation to the table. And it's an invitation to be a part of the family. And it's an invitation to fellowship that Jesus invites you to be part of his family, the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. It's not difficult either. He's done all the hard work of adopting you into the family. For you, it's to put your faith and trust in him, to pray and Ask him into your heart and life to live your life for him and accept the invitation he offers. And with that invitation, when you accept it, here's the beautiful thing. When you accept that invitation to follow Jesus, when you accept that invitation in the family, it comes with gifts. See, the the, the unique thing about Christianity, every other religion in the world, you have to bring the gift. Every other religion in the world, you have to work your way to God. You have to find your way to God. Jesus says, no, you don't have anything I need. I've already brought the greatest gift. And if you come to me and accept my invitation, I'll give you gifts. I'll give you gifts. Gifts to serve the church. Gifts for you to share. Gifts that we need. And so this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus and that invitation, I encourage you that this will be the morning that you would accept not only his invitation to be Lord of your life, but his invitation to the family. Let's pray as we consider these words that God has given to us and called us to. We just take a moment in your own place. Just take a moment of silence in this sacred space. I encourage you to close your eyes for a moment just simply so you can kind of set aside the person to your right and left and just have a little bit of sacred space in your week. It's something we lack in our world. Just take a moment and 
consider the words that God has given to us today. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Maybe you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus. And maybe you don't know what that gift is that God has given to you. Then in this moment, in this space, I encourage you to ask God to show you and reveal it to you. To trust that he has given you something to be shared. Maybe you're sitting here today and you know the gift God has given you, but you have not been sharing it. Then in this space right now, you need to repent. You need to say, God, forgive me for holding back what is yours and belongs to your church. And Lord, give me the strength to share the gift that you have given to me. Or maybe you know the gift you have, but you haven't found a place to share it. Then you pray now, Lord, give me an opportunity. Show me a space and a place. Show me a person that I can be a blessing to with the gift that you have given to me. Or if you're in that, if you're that person here today that has never come into the family, that has never come into God's presence, that has never made Jesus the Lord of your life, then this maybe is the moment that you would do that. That you would take this space to say and speak to God in your own heart, in your own words, in your own way. To just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I've tried on my own to run my own life and to live for myself. And it hasn't fixed what I know is broken in me. And I need your forgiveness. I need you to save me. I need those words that we sang a little while ago, Hosanna. I need to just cry out, Lord, save me. Because what the Bible says is when you do, when you say those words, when you cry out, he comes and he answers your cry. Say, Lord, forgive me. I want to follow you. Would you become my heavenly father? Would you welcome me into your family as your son and your daughter and teach me to follow you? Just take some space for a moment to consider these things. If that's you and you've prayed that prayer, we'd love to walk with you as you follow Christ. See me or Pastor Marvin, or we'd love to talk with you about your walk following Christ or whoever brought you here today. If you've come with somebody, let them know that you've become a follower of Jesus and you want to know more what that means and they'll help you. Lord, thank you for your body. Thank you for the church. God, forgive us when we have been self-centered and selfish and thought that they were our gifts individually and thought God that they were our gifts as a church. Forgive us, Lord, and teach us. 
Teach us, Lord, how to utilize the gifts you've given us for your glory and for your honor, that we may be the church and accomplish the mission that you have called us to. And we ask this in Christ's name, the giver of all these gifts. Amen.